0: Scaling Up Nation, if you've been following my favorite books, you know Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich is among them. In this book, he analyzed what successful people had in common, and one of these commonalities that he noted was successful people meet with other successful people. He then coined that meeting a mastermind. Folks, life is too hard to do it alone, and that is exactly what most of us are doing. Starting in early 2020, I will be launching our own mastermind called Rising Tide. The Rising Tide mastermind is made up of small groups of individuals with the focus on helping each other succeed. These groups will include weekly video calls designed to solve key issues, quarterly book discussions with action plans, quarterly one-to-ones with me, a live event, and so much more. I've personally been a member of a mastermind for years and I know how key being in a mastermind has been for my own success. And because of that, I know how key a group like this can be in your success. The Rising Tide Mastermind is currently accepting applications. We have very limited spots, so go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to set up a 15-minute call with me to see if this is the key to your next level of success. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on knowledge so we do not scale up our systems. Hello, Scaling Up Nation, Trace Blackmore here. Happy Friday the 13th. You know, we've had another Friday the 13th this year. It was in September, and that was episode 103, and that was when we were talking about what fears us water treaters have. Well, we're not going to be talking about fears today unless you are afraid of evaluating your successes and your failures for this year. So I hope you're not because here is your homework. I want you to write down all of the wins that you had for this year. And then I want you to go back and figure out why they were wins. What did you have to do in order to make those wins? Then I want you to do the exact same thing for your losses. What were the goals that you had this year that you weren't able to achieve? And what were some of the things that were in your way from achieving those goals? On the very last episode of the year, we're going to be looking at these things that you wrote down and we're going to figure out how we can better goal set for next year. So we are going to go into goal setting and we're going to make sure that 2020 is as strong as it can be. I'm going to give you some tools to help you do that. And I want you to remember Tony Robbins. I think everybody knows who Tony Robbins is. He's like 11 feet tall. He says, setting goals is the first step into turning the invisible into visible. So think about that quote for a second what do we see? Why do we want to achieve a particular goal? And can we actually visualize ourselves doing that? So not only getting there, but what are all the things that we have to do in between? And what are the things that are going to get in our way while we are trying to achieve those goals? So those are the things that we're going to be talking about on the last episode. Now, here's the other thing that I would like for you to consider to do. And I know this is very non-water treatment-like, but I can tell you that this is something that has helped me tremendously. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I want you to consider journaling. Yes, I said journaling. I truly believe that we are programmed the way the world is today to focus on negative items. All you have to do is turn the news on for five minutes and you will see a barrage of negative stories. It seems like that is what the world is looking for these days is what negative is going on. Folks, when that is what we are looking for and that's what we see on a day-to-day basis, we start thinking in the negative. And I know when we're talking about goal setting, if we're in the negative mindset, folks, that stuff is never going to come true. Also, when we're in the negative mindset, we're not where we are at our best. And there is a tool that I have used... That's called the 5-Minute Journal, and I know most of you out there are thinking that I'm nuts, even suggesting that you start journaling, but here's the thing. The people at the 5-Minute Journal have taken several books and articles and condensed them down into an executive briefing on what you need to know about journaling. They've even gone further to boil those down into five daily questions, and it's these five questions that you're going to journal around. This process helps you focus on gratitude. It sets the direction of your day, and it allows you to reflect on all of the good things that has happened during your day. Folks, there is just something that happens to the human mind when we prime it to be positive. Trust me, I have done this and I know that it works. In fact, the person that gave me the five-minute journal Was Tim Fulton. Folks, you know how highly I think of my business coach, Tim Fulton. Well, he suggested I do that. I thought he was nuts because I am not a journaling person, but I decided that I was going to do that. And it really does change what you're looking for. Again, if all you're doing is experiencing negative, that's what you are going to find. This gets you into a better mindset. So I know what you're wondering. How do you get your own copy of the 5-Minute Journal? Well, that's easy. I've created an affiliate link for you to go to. It's scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal, and that will take you to an Amazon affiliate link so you can get the journal. Now, if you're wondering what an affiliate link is, that is a link that will cost you absolutely nothing, but Amazon will pay me a small commission because I initiated you buying the 5-Minute Journal. So again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal. We're gonna be talking about that next year in one of our first shows. And I know it's something that you are going to like. Nation, as you know, we rely on our members of the Scaling Up Nation to help us out with questions to answer on this show. Well, today's question comes from Eric Russo of episode 111. Hi, Trace. Eric Russo here, and my question for you today is about estimating the volume of a closed-loop system. I understand you can measure the length and diameter of the piping, but is there a way to correlate the GPM on the recirculating pump to the volume of the closed-loop system, and does that vary if it's a chill-loop system or a hot-loop system? Also, is there any way to calculate the volume based off of the hot water boiler output. Thanks for your insight. Take care. Well, Eric, thank you so much for that question. And if you have ever been in a class that I've taught on math, you've heard me address rules of thumb. And it sounds like you are asking me to address some rules of thumb that we have in the industry. Well, if you've been to one of my classes, you know when we talk about rules of thumb, I have everybody put up their hands and then we try to count how many thumbs we have in the room. Do you get my point? Rules of thumb, depending on who's giving you that rule of thumb, they're going to be different. In fact, if you have as few as two water treaters in the same room, I promise you that you're going to get two separate opinions on how to do things. So with that in mind, Eric, I don't place a lot of value on rules of thumb. And I know some people can get volume based on pump RPMs or boiler horsepower. I've just never been able to do this. And I know that there are engineering calculations for how much volume is in the system and how big a pump and how big a boiler needs to be. And I have to tell you, even though that there are calculations for that, I can see the same equipment in different facilities and they have vastly different volumes. I have never been able to make rules of thumb work. With all of that said, there's only one way that I feel confident sharing with you to get the volume on a closed loop system. And that's calculating the system volume off all the pipes and the sumps and everywhere that water is in. And then once you do that, we are going to add a non-scaling ion to figure out exactly how much water is in that system. Now, here is the warning for the show. So, folks, if you are scared of math, please turn the podcast off now because we are going to talk about math on this show. And as you know, I teach math for the Association of Water Technologies, and a request that I get all the time is, Trace, why don't you teach math on your podcast? Well, the reason I don't teach math on the podcast is quite frankly, it scares me because I know you all are driving out there and now all of a sudden I'm going to be talking about math and I'm just worried about the collateral damage that's going to happen. So if you are not able to drive and listen to math, please take my warning and listen to next week's episode but we're going to do it. We're going to try it. Let's go ahead and talk about some math. So here's what I like to do. If I have access to drawings, and by the way, we normally get access to as-built drawings, and I have never seen as-built drawings actually be as the system was actually built. Never. Not once. So... Keep that in mind. But if we have drawings, we can add up all the linear feet of pipe in each pipe diameter that we have, and then we can calculate the estimated volume. So this means we're going to have separate calculations for each pipe size. So if we have so many hundred feet of three inch pipe, so many hundred feet of six inch pipe, so many hundred feet of eight inch pipe. You're going to have a different line item for each one of those, and then you're simply going to add all of those up to figure out what the volume is in the system. If you've got sumps, you're going to count that as well. So this is how we would do that. Let's say we have 200 feet of 6-inch pipe. And here it is, folks. Here are some calculations. We're going right into the math. So the calculation you need is pi times the radius squared times our length of pipe times 7.48. Now that 7.48 is our conversion number that gets us into how many gallons is in a cubic foot. Now that means all of our numbers have to be in feet and we measure pipe in inches. So another math alert, we're gonna have a conversion coming up. The radius typically is one half the diameter of the pipe. At first glance, you might think that a six inch pipe would have a radius of three, but take a look at the calculation that I just mentioned and that is in feet. So we have to convert everything from inches into feet. So six inches, if we convert that into feet, that would be 0.5 feet. Now, half of 0.5 would be 0.25 feet, and that is the radius of our six inch pipe. The calculation says that we have to square it. So that's 0.25 times 0.25, That's going to equal 0.0625. Folks, you asked me to do math. You got it. I hope you are keeping up, and I hope I'm doing a good job explaining this to you. So just to catch you up, our calculation is pi times the radius squared times the length of pipe in feet times our 7.48, where the 7.48 is how many gallons is in a cubic foot. So, what we just did is we figured out the conversion of our 6-inch pipe. We figured out what the radius was, and now we just figured out what the radius squared was. So, now we're just going to plug that in. We said we had 200 feet of this pipe. So, I'm just going to go through the equation and put everything in. So, our 3.14, which is pi, times our 0.0625 times our 200 feet and then whatever that equals, we're gonna multiply that by our factor of 7.48, and we're gonna learn that there's 293.6 gallons in this particular length of pipe. Now, if we had, Uh, eight inch pipe or a 12 inch pipe. We're going to do the same exact thing for all of those. We'll add that up and then that will be our total estimated gallons. And yes, I said estimated gallons. And I know you're not happy with that. Eric was very specific in asking your question. He wants a precise answer and estimated does not sound precise. Well, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to use that estimation to get a more defendable number. And this is how we are going to get it. We are going to use compound addition to get a more exact number. Compound addition means we are going to add a known weight of a non-scaling ion into the system And then we're gonna use our test kit to calculate the volume. We're gonna figure out how much, whatever we added, added to the system. And we have another equation that will tell us how many gallons that you have in the system. Now that sounds pretty cool. I know you were all wondering how we do this, but before we get there, there are a few rules that we have to use in this calculation. First, the entire system needs to be open. Nothing can be valved off. No parts of the system can be off. We have to have flow through 100% of the system. You might have to work with the controls engineer to make sure that all of the parts of the system are open. If they are not open, we can't distribute our compound to those areas and we're not going to get a correct system volume. The other item that we need, rule number two, is the system must remain circulating during the entire time that we are doing this. So again, we might have to speak to our controls engineer to make sure that they bypass the pumps so we have circulation all the way through this process. The third rule is we must have a residual of the compound that we are adding in the system already available within the system. So for example, if we are using nitrite as our addition compound, We should already have nitrite in the system and it should have been in there long enough to make sure that that nitrite has passivated all the different parts of the system so the nitrite that we add will be extra available nitrite, not nitrite that's going to attach to the metal. That is very important. The last rule that we need to do to do this procedure correctly is we need to understand our test. We need to take out our test literature and make sure we understand what type of test it is, how it tests, and how to augment the test ranges. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about how to do that, but I don't know what test you are using. You need to understand your test well. Now, I just mentioned nitrite in a closed loop system. I love using sodium nitrite in a closed-loop system because nine times out of 10, we're already using it as our corrosion inhibitor. However, if there is no nitrite in the system, Once again, if we add it, that is going to get absorbed in the system and it's not going to allow us to get a proper number. So we might actually have to pre-treat the system so we have a normal nitrite residual and make sure that we don't have any leaks in the system, that the nitrite is holding properly, and then we can do this addition compound. Now, you're probably asking yourself, how much nitrite do I add in the system? And folks, when I'm referring to nitrite, I'm referring to sodium nitrite. So remember that estimation that we did with the pipe math? Well, we're going to take that number and we're going to divide it by 1,000 gallons. And whatever that number is, we're going to add one pound per thousand. Now, can you add more? Sure, you're just going to be titrating more. Can you add less? Sure, you just might not have enough in the system to get an accurate test. I found that one pound per thousand works pretty darn good, but you are welcome to use whatever you like. We need to make sure that we pre-dissolve all of the sodium nitrite. The reason for that, we don't want any undissolved particles to hang out in any low flow areas and not add to the addition of sodium nitrite in our system. So the easiest way to do that is to get a five gallon bucket to get some hot water and dissolve your sodium nitrite. Once that's dissolved, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to get your first sample. So without you pouring the dissolved nitrite into the system, you're going to grab the starting solution of the system and just cap that off and we can test it later. That's going to be the starting point. How much nitrite do we have in the system before we do anything to it? Next, we're going to put the dissolved sodium nitrite solution into the system. Now, folks, my advice is that you do this all in one shot what could happen is you might have some non-transported high concentration sodium nitrite in your feeder. And when you go to open that up to drain it to put the second slug in, you're accidentally draining out some of that nitrite solution. You do not want to do that. So if you can just get it in there all in one slug, you won't have to worry about that. By the way, if that happens, the system will result at a higher number than it actually is. And the whole point of this is to do this as precise as you can so you can have a defendable number when you add products into the system. The next question I know that you are asking is how long do I let the system circulate? And I can hear you asking it and I can hear my friend, Jim Lukinich answering your question. And he would probably say something like just enough and all you need. So here's the deal folks. It's going to be specific to each system. However, I have found that 24 to 48 hours normally is plenty of time. Now, you know what the pump is producing as far as circulation. You should have your estimated volume. You should be able to figure out how many revolutions that you're gonna have in a specific time period to make sure that everything gets evenly distributed within the system. So if you want to do that by math, You've got everything you need in order to do that. But typically, unless it's a super, super large system, something like 24 to 48 hours should be fine. Now, if you are not sure and you go back in 24 hours, well, take another test in 48 hours. If they're exactly the same, you know that that system has done everything it could with the addition of the sodium nitrite. Now, there's probably somebody out there saying, but Trace, if there's a leak, we're not going to get a good answer. And folks, you're right. If there's a leak, this will not work. We must have a tight system with no leaks in order for this procedure to work. Now, we're going to start talking about our test. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the nitrite test. And I want you to go look at your test kit and figure out if you have a nitrite test or you have a sodium nitrite test. And yes, folks, there is a difference. And you really need to know which one it is that you are using. I really like using the sodium nitrite test because there's no conversion. I'm putting sodium nitrite in. I'm letting the sodium nitrite totally dissolve and distribute within the system, and then I'm testing for sodium nitrite. It's an easier test to run, but folks, the conversion isn't hard, and I will tell you how to do that. Folks, figuring out this conversion from sodium nitrite to nitrite is not too difficult, but again, it's more math, and I'm going to tell you that in just a second, but I want to get a little bit more through this procedure. When we're running our test, and again, we're going to want to run our test before we have put anything in the system, and then after we're sure that it's been distributed thoroughly throughout the system. Now, most of our test kits, if you're using a drop count, one drop equals 50 on a 5 mil sample. Well, folks, I just don't think 50 ppm per drop is enough for this testing procedure. So, if we were to go up to a 10 mil sample, that same drop will now yield 25 parts per million of nitrite per drop, or in our case, sodium nitrite. If we did 20 mils, then that same drop will yield 12.5 ppm of our sodium nitrite, or whatever our test is, and then 50 mils will yield 5 ppm of our sodium nitrite. Now, I bet you're wondering how I did that. And this is just simple algebra, folks. Take the new volume you want to use and divide it into the original volume. Then divide that number into the standard PPM drop count. Your answer will be the new PPM per drop with that new volume size. And folks, that is something that I came up with and I am sharing to you because I want to raise the quality of what we're able to do out there in the field. Some might say a rising tide raises all boats, and I hope that little equation that I've come up with will help you with your testing procedures. Now, you can do that with any titration. It has to be a titration, folks. If it's not a titration, it's not going to work. So, just keep that in mind. So, let's go back to our procedure. We have put the nitrite into the system. We've allowed it to circulate for the time that we feel comfortable. We've run some tests so we know what the beginning nitrite level was before we ever put anything into the system. And now after we've let it circulate for whatever amount of time we chose, we know what that final nitrite is. So what we're going to do, we're going to subtract the original number we came up with from the final number. And that's going to tell us how much nitrite or sodium nitrite, depending on what your test is, that we have in the system based on the addition. And now we've got some math. Now here's what we know. We know exactly how much sodium nitrite we added in the system and we know how much extra sodium nitrite that actually put into the system. So we can now use one of our water treatment equations to figure out how many gallons is in the system. Now here is the equation. It's 120,000 times the pounds of sodium nitrite we added in the system divided by how much sodium nitrite we actually added by that addition. And that's it. We simply do the math and that will tell us how many gallons that are in our system. Now, let's say, for example, you were using a nitrite test and not a sodium nitrite test. You will then need to compensate for the fact that you added pounds of sodium nitrite, but your test can only test for nitrite. And to do that... The addition that you got from adding the sodium nitrite in the system, you're simply going to multiply that by 1.5 and that will put that in the right number for you. I bet you're wondering how I knew to do that. Well, it's because I understand how to use the periodic table. And I know you're thinking, I got out of high school chemistry, I got out of college chemistry, and I was pretty sure that someone told me I was never going to have to use the periodic table again. Well, folks, the periodic table can be our friend. So let's look at how I did that. Nitrite is one nitrogen. And if we look at the atomic weight, we find that the atomic weight is 14. Well, nitrite is also two oxygens. Oxygen's atomic weight is 16. So 16 times two is 32. 32 plus our nitrogen of 14 gives us a total molecular weight of 46. So nitrite's molecular weight is 46. Now sodium nitrite has sodium plus our nitrite. So, we already know that nitrite is 46. And if we were to look on the periodic table, we would find sodium is 23. So, 23 plus 46 is 69. Now, here's the formula we're going to use to figure out what we need to multiply our final test result by to get it in the proper form that we added sodium nitrite, but we only have a nitrite test. Our formula is what we added divided by what we tested. So 69 divided by 46 equals 1.5. And hey folks, that's how we got that 1.5. And you thought you would never use the periodic table again. Well, let's go back to our original equation. So our equation one more time for volume is 120,000 times the pounds of sodium nitrite added divided by the sodium nitrite PPM that we acquired from our addition process. Now, I know you're probably wondering how we get that 120,000. And folks, I really think you've done very well this episode with the math that I've thrown at you. So I don't necessarily want to go into proving where the 120,000 comes from. But for now, know that it is a simplified form of one of the water treatment axioms that we use. And that axiom is one pound of anything and a thousand gallons of water will yield 120 parts per million. Well, Nation, how did I do? That was the first time I have ever done math on the show, and it was some complex math. So I'm going to have these equations on my show notes page. So by all means, go to the show notes page and you will see these equations. I hope this helps. And Eric, I do hope that this answers your question, even though I went about it in a slightly different way than what you requested. I just don't like rules of thumb. I've never been able to get them to work consistently. Nation, do you have a question for me that you want me to answer on Scaling Up H2O? Well, share it with me. Do not keep that locked up inside your head. Just like Eric did, go to scalinguph2o.com and click on the voicemail tab and you can record your own voice asking your question. In the beginning of the show we started talking about goals and we're going to continue with your homework on the very last episode of this year. So in the meantime I want to remind you of your homework. Write down all of the wins that you have had for this year and look to see why that they were wins. Do the exact same thing with your losses and figure out what got in your way so they were not wins too. Folks, if you can figure losses out and what was getting in your way, you can quickly turn those into wins. And with that information in hand, I promise we're going to put that into good use on our last show for 2019. I also asked you to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal to get a copy of the five-minute journal. I'll be doing a show next year on the journal, and I will share how I have been personally using it and what it has done for me. Folks, trust me, this is something that can help your mindset. So be sure to get your copy by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash journal. Something else you'll want to do is tune in next week because I'm going to be speaking with psychologist Kathleen Edelman about temperaments. Now, you're probably wondering what the heck are temperaments well, folks, we're going to talk all about temperaments, and I'm going to share with you how I have worked with Kathleen this year, and the reason I am bringing this to you as one of my last episodes of 2019 is because this, hands down, was the most effective thing that I have done this year to help every single relationship that I have in my life. Now, what she does is she teaches you how to use better words when you are talking with people. And I know that sounds weird, but folks, when I say that what she has taught me has been tremendous... I know that you are going to enjoy this interview and it truly has helped me in all areas of my life. And I can't wait to bring that show to you. And that is exactly what I am going to do next week on Scaling Up H2O.